Hello, Dr. Dan Guerra here. This is Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest. I'm doing this podcast, my podcast, this podcast, because I have nothing better to do. Something I haven't stated in a while at the beginning, so I thought I'd better do it just to remind everybody. So let's get started with this. We've been talking about natural killer cells, and I've been trying to refer you to understand the Covalent modification of DNA and proteins associated with epigenetic alterations of gene expression being linked to changes in the subset structure-function relationships of immune cells. And we were talking about NK cells, bright and dim, expressing two different surface markers and their association with either being pro-inflammatory or cytotoxic and then there were intermediates recall so that's where we were last time and let's uh just proceed along in that category of discussion <clears throat> now i also talked to you last time about dialectical event ontology and i told you that that's my new theory or level of i guess prescription of how i like to look at biochemical events in living systems and I think I can broaden that out to biological systems in general. Uh, and I've done that in publications in the past. But maybe some of you don't know what I mean when I say that there is a dialectical event. A dialectical event is distinct from a dialectical substance and that we can compare and contrast different concentrations, for example, of substances in the blood, say oxyhemoglobin, and we can get some idea about whether or not a person has a certain level of oxygenated blood or glycosylated hemoglobin, for example, in diabetics, uh, and then link that maybe to some kind of pathological state. Now, when you do all of that, what I just described to you, measuring different concentrations at different times, getting different biochemical profiles, and then relating that to a uh, disease, you are actually carrying out a dialectical examination. And furthermore, it's not a substance you're really measuring, but an event, because an event is nothing more than some occurrence, meaning that there are multiple material changes that may occur over time. And the material change over time is what I mean by an event, as it is a phenomenon that has both space and time characteristics and usually is involved in interconversions of matter and energy. Okay, so it's an event ontology rather than a substance ontology. So a die event could be in, we're talking about physiology and pathophysiology, molecular and cellular events that will occur across different mechanisms. And they're going to result in a real-time modification and that's going to be because of environmental change. So the mechanisms of a di dialectical event are not limited to this, but here's just a, here are a few for you to keep in mind. Uh, in terms of macromolecular uh, interactions, the replication, recombination, repair of DNA. For RNA, transcription, alternate splicing, and then translation of RNA. Signal transduction cascades are a third kind of dye event. Membrane fluid dynamics, a fourth. A fifth could be 
cell fate repertoire that includes autophagy, apoptosis, senescence, necrosis, and ferritosis, to name a few. The major ones, for sure. Number six, I could consider developmental programs, including embryogenesis. And then, of course, associated with that, cellular division and differentiation, including such processes as adipogenesis, neurogenesis, myelocytogenesis, lymphocytogenesis, gametogenesis, oncogenesis, et cetera, et cetera. So those are some of the dialectical events of which we uh, like to um, include within our discussions when we're doing this biochemical um, lectures. So recall that we had this Jumanji histone demethylase. And I want to talk about that. And we also want to talk about bromodomains and histone deacetylases. And I want to talk about all of those events and their association with interferon gamma release in human natural killer cells. This is from a paper published in Journal of Biological Chemistry. Again, this is the same one we talked about yesterday, published in 2018. A lot of really interesting data here. So <clears throat> activated natural killer cells of one particular type will secrete pro-inflammatory cytokines. For example, interferon gamma will be secreted. And when, 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 that, when those cells are stimulated using either interleukin-2 or 12 or even interleukin-15, you'll get the production of interferon gamma as a result. Now, all those other interleukins are also associated with pro-inflammatory response. You see, it's a feed-forward mechanism. So interferon gamma, though, is specifically indicative of natural killer cell function. You could do a screening with a focused library of small molecule inhibitors, and that's what they did in this paper to interrogate that particular phenomenon. They found a significant reduction of secreted interferon gamma by inhibiting histone demethylases and histone deacetylases. And a third protein we haven't talked about for a few years now, actually, the bromodomains. Actually, I talked about it about a year ago. So don't worry, we're going to talk about this in great detail right now. So they have a, DMF, they have a demethylase inhibitor, <clears throat> and then they also use several inactive organic regioisomers, regioisomers. And so they used regioisomers of a specific demethylase inhibitor, and those were inactive. And then they had some of these geometrical isomers which were active. So very precise utilization of inhibitors here. So they incubated natural killer cells with an inhibitor, a demethylase inhibitor, known as GSKJ4. And it led to the reduction in proliferation of, of the production of interferon gamma. However, there were no alterations in programmed cell death so it looks like it's only hitting on the CD56 bright cells. Those are the ones that are pro-inflammatory. Okay. So then they used, so, so it looks like this particular GSKJ4 is a potent and permeable inhibitor 
of a certain kind of met, uh, demethylase called the KDM6. Remember, the K is uh, associated with, of course, lysine residues. This is going to be histone demethylation here. So <clears throat> these natural killer cells were incubated within the leukin-15, and then they're treated with JMJD3UTX, JARID1B LNA target, and scrambled oligonucleotides for eight days. Now, these inhibitor and knockdown studies demonstrated, uh, and I'm looking at the data, and I can tell you it's demonstrated, that the Jumanji histone demethylases, like the JMJD3 and the UTX, actually regulate natural killer cell pro-inflammatory function. Okay, so the demethylases have a, a potent effect there. So this is curious, right? So... Let me give you an overview real quickly. This comes from a Nature Reviews paper published some years back on epigenetic writers, readers, and erasers. So epigenetic regulation, of course, is a dynamic process. So you have writers such as, now here we're talking about histone signatures, histone acetyltransferases, those are called HATs, histone methyltransferases, those are called HMTs, and you also have that protein arginine methyltransferase called PRMTs. And now, of course, you have kinases. And the kinases basically set up for epigenetic marking on specific amino acids. And it's going to be associated with histone tails and with lysine residues, almost always, except for that one arginine. So you have epigenetic readers then. And those are proteins containing a particular uh, uh, Pro, uh, protein domain known as a bromodomain. You also have chromodomains and Tudor domains. And those all bind to specific epigenetical markers. The epigenetical erasers are histone deacetylases, HTACs, also known as sirtuins, and, de and lysine demethylases, also known as KDMs, like the KDM we've been talking about here with the data. You also, of course, kinases and phosphatases. <clears throat> so in the addition or removal of those post-translational modifications on histone tails will lead to the addition and a removal of other markers in a highly organized hierarchical histone code. Together, he, all these histone modifications added together regulate DNA-dependent processes, including such things as transcription, replication, and repair. Okay, so now you get a, an idea what's going on here, right? So the bromodomain and the extraterminal BET protein family are two different kinds of protein domains. Those are specific sequences and proteins that have structure-function relationships. That's why they're called domains. And those are epigenetic readers. So they bind to epigenetic markers, covalent modification of DNA, and then they read that mark on the DNA, and then they alter the DNA structure, either closing it up so that it cannot be unwound by toposomerases and gyrases, so the transcription is inhibited, or depending on the methylation pattern in histones, those nucleosomes can be activated. Remember, you can get activation or you can get deactivation of transcription. Same thing, of course, with DNA recombination, repair, and replication. All of that is included. So, 
BRD2, BRD3, BRD4, and BRDT are all bets, BTs. And each of them have two different of these protein structure functions known as bromodomains. And they have an extra terminal domain that actually binds acetylated lysines. And all of this is associated with histone tails and with certain transcription factors, which of course are going to be involved in chromatin remodeling. <clears throat> so BDR, uh, BRD4, excuse me, regulates gene transcription is critical for cell cycle progression and even mitosis, cell division. So BRD4 acts as a super enhancer and it drives expression also, unfortunately, of oncogenes like P53, mutated P, uh, P53 and P21 for that matter. So BRD4 inhibitory drugs have been used to selectively suppress oncogenic drivers. So BET inhibitors or BETIs compete with acetylated lysine residues by binding to the bromodomain. And they're binding to the bromodomain, which is a pocket on the BET protein. Okay. And that includes the protein BRD4 we've just been talking about. So these inhibitors have efficacy in cancer, inflammation, and heart failure. The BETIs, the inhibitors, act by disrupting the super enhancement that drives the expression of chiocogenes, such as CMIC. Okay. And when they do that, that leads to apoptosis, which is good because you're talking about tumor cells here. So Betty's also work through an entire subset of kinases. So GSKJ4 inhibits the pro-inflammatory cytokine production of peripheral blood natural killer cell subsets. So you get reduced interferon gamma secretion caused by an inhibition of cytokine transcription and in fact, impaired intracellular transport. They so, both seem to possibly be effective. So the GSKJ4 is a specific inactive isomer control. Uh, no, the GSKJ4 is active, but the GSKJ5, that's one of those inactive geometrical isomers. So J4 is active, J5 is not. So J4, but not J5, will reduce natural killer cell-derived interferon gamma expression. Okay, so it's a transcriptional level, right? Now, concerning this interferon gamma production using GSK J4, in different types of peripheral blood-derived natural killer cells, the CD56 bright, which are known to be the pro-inflammatory because they produce the highest, highest levels of interferon gamma once they're stimulated, were looked at by comparing them to other NK cell populations. What they found very significantly is GSKJ4 resulted in reduced interferon gamma production in all of the subsets of the natural killer cells, including CD56 bright, CD57 minus, CD56 dim, CD57 plus, and CD56 dim, CD57 minus. Whereas a control compound, remember a geometrical isomer that has no effect, didn't do anything to any of those events on any of those subset natural killer cell populations. 
In fact, GSKJ4 did not alter natural killer cell population frequency. And this was all assessed using flow cytometry. Look at those same markers we just told you, CD56 and CD57. So GSKJ4 led to a reduction in pro-inflammatory TNF-alpha, GM-CSF as the colony stimulating factor, uh, also pro-inflammatory cytokine, classical, interleukin-2, and even anti-inflammatory interleukin-10. So inhibition of demethylation via GSKJ4 will therefore variably alter a set of natural killer cell inflammatory functions. Therefore, natural killer cells, when you look at when you look at those different subsets, can induce TNF alpha production in a CD14 positive monocyte population. And that's in a manner that's obviously associated with cell-cell interactions. And the GSKJ4 reduced that TNF alpha production in the CD14 positive co-culture. So you can see that multiple functions are being affected here. It's an alteration. So inhibition of demethylation alters then all of this process. So when you inhibit demethylation, that means you maintain a methylome. And then remember the methylome is read by the bromodomains, recall, because those are the readers. Now, in rheumatoid arthritis, natural killer cells uh, can be readily found in uh, peripheral blood, but also in the synovial tissue of the patient, especially during the very early, late prodromal stages of the disease. And in fact, NK cells in that particular prodromal state of rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune disease, remember, they represent, natural killer cells represent about 20% of all lymphocytes in the synovial fluid. Now, the synovial joint is enriched in a specific natural killer cell, CD56 bright. And of course, they secrete significant amounts of interferon gamma when you stimulate them with interleukin 15, which can come from other innate cell populations or from endothelia or epithelia. So there's an observed significant increase in the frequency of CD56 bright cells when you treat naive rheumatoid arthritic, arthritic patient peripheral blood. Okay, That's compared with healthy individuals. And furthermore, you see a significant reduction in the frequency of interferon gamma in those are in those rheumatoid arthritis natural killer cells when they're treated with a demethylase inhibitor, GSKJ4. So they observed a significant increase in CD56 bright natural killer cell frequency. As if that's one thing that you already know in the rheumatoid arthritic synovial tissue. So they observed when synovial natural killer cells were given JSKJ4, that's the active optical isomer there was a reduction in interferon gamma expression. Therefore, in addition to reducing acute inflammation, J4 could be beneficial in reducing these pro-inflammatory cytokines, even in a clinical setting for chronic infl inflammatory autoimmune disease, such as rheumatoid arthritis.
So natural killer cells cultured with the JSK J4 will reduce the rheumatoid arthritic natural killer lineage expression. And that results in inhibition of natural killer cell mediated osteoclastogenesis. So you have a specific uh, receptor called the uh, receptor activated for nuclear factor kappa B, ligand. So that's a component of this disease. And it's called rankle for short. And rankle, again, the receptor activated for nuclear factor kappa B ligand, that expression was reduced both in the rheumatoid arthritic patients and in even in healthy donor-derived natural killer cells following the JSK J4, the active optical isomer treatment. This effect is specific to knockdown of the KDM6A and KDM6B. And that was evidenced by a down-regulation of the rankle protein expression using a knockdown uh, assay. So natural killer cells from rheumatoid arthritic patients are also involved in mediating this process known as osteoclastogenesis. And that leads to, in, in these patients, bone erosion. So the question you can ask is that same Jumanji demethylase inhibition also inhibits the osteoclastogenesis? And obviously, yes, I just told you that. So natural killer pretreatment with, again, this is a Jumanji-specific demethylase inhibition with JSKJ4, the active optical isomer, does result in significantly reduced osteoclast numbers in the rheumatoid arthritic autoimmune patients. So what's going on here? Well, you can ask overall what kinds of genes are being affected. I told you some of them, okay? But whenever you use an inhibitor, the classical thing to do in pharmacology is to ask a very significant question. What genes are upregulated and what genes are downregulated by giving an inhibitor? Because <laughs> even though they seem very specific, we know that organic compounds, when they're potent, like this optical isomer is this J4 optical isomer, there are going to be several genes that are going to be affected. Some of them may be cohering to the processes you're looking at. Some of them may not be cohering. Some of them could be cohering, but we need to be able to put the whole network together. So you have in this process, they looked at uh, overall transcriptome, okay? And they found that over 882 genes were upregulated by the demethylase inhibitor, and about 1,346 were downregulated. So that's about 2,228 genes infected. Now, which ones? Well, metallothionins, uh, the G1S-specific transcriptional repertoire and cell cycle genes, interferon gamma signaling, we talked big about, the G2M checkpoint in cell cycle, cytokine signaling in general on the immune system, signaling by notch, nucleosomal assembly, epigenetic regulation overall of gene expression, and interestingly, glucose metabolism, all of those kinds of genes.
were affected by this demethylase inhibitor. So in general, you can say that GSK J4, that J4, remember the optic, active optical isomer of an inhibitor of the Jumanji demethylases in human cell lineages, such as natural killer cells, that compound impacts cell cycle, cytokine production, growth factor regulation, signaling, general epigenetic and chromatin remodeling pathways, and indeed even metabolism, the level of glucose, so glycolysis, right? So there's a general anti-inflammatory, anti-proliferative effect following the JSKJ4 treatment. Very interesting. You inhibit a demethylase and you get a decrease in inflammation and a decrease in proliferation. That's very good because it's knocking out two major diseases in the elderly. One, of course, is autoimmune diseases like RA and the other is cancer. So if you inhibit a demethylase, again, what does that mean? That means you maintain a methylome because you're preventing the methylome from being demethylated. You're inhibiting the erasure of the methylation pattern. So not signaling, which talked a lot about that. Again, that's a basically a, a massive transcription factor family pathway. And glycolysis seem to be significant for natural killer cell function. And they're duly affected by maintaining the methylone that you find on those lysine residues on those histones. That's the important thing on the histone tails. And I told you there was a very significant metallothionine and upregulation and a reduction in the pro-inflammatory cytokines, particularly interferon gamma, but also tumor necrosis sector alpha, LTA, and LTB. Now, those LTA and LTB, those are actually leukotrienes, okay, produced, of course, from the oxygenation of preformed, very long chain, polyunsaturated fatty acids. Leukotrienes, peptidoleukotrienes, coming from the lipoxygenase pathway. So that demonstrates a robust natural killer cell transcriptomic change following the introduction of a histone 3 lysine 27 demethylase inhibition. All of that coming from that one demethylase inhibitor. Okay? So you get you get that how these inhibition experiments, you might think that they might be like uh, stone axe and chisel. They aren't. They can be very precise. They can tell us a lot about control of the function of a very potent immune cell, which lacks its function or alters its function, particularly the immunomodulatory function, remember last lecture, from yesterday, as we age. As we age. So the pro-inflammatory gene transcriptional repertoire is tanked when demethylation is inhibited, but cytotoxicity of cancer cells, read CD56 DIM, by natural killer cells where demethylation is inhibited, remained intact. So you get good cytotoxicity, which is excellent, but you also maintain the gene transcription of the pro-inflammatory response, right? And what you do is you tank that pro-inflammatory response, right? So despite some downward expression of pro-cytotoxic genes, cytotoxicity physiology 
does not become impaired with this inhibition. Because of the downward expression of those pro-inflammatory genes, because of this demethylase inhibitor, the natural killer cells then lose the ability to promote inflammation. And so the drug and our just knockdown inhibited demethylase will induce an increase in histone H3 lysine 27 methylation. And that results in a specific reduction of natural killer cell pro-inflammatory function. So the key feature is a quantitative effect leading to qualitative effects generating a new threshold of natural killer cell structure function relationships in the elderly or in any of the illnesses you might get from pro-inflammatory autoimmune diseases or cancers. Indeed, you get a subtle downregulation of the pro-cytotoxic genes, and that may even effect, uh, enhance their effect because it can streamline signal transduction cascades. And that's something else we can talk about uh, a little bit later. So I've only got less than a minute left, so I will finish today. So hopefully you got a now a very, very intense uh, high molecularity understanding of the control over the switching of natural killer cell populations, either pro-inflammatory or pro-cytotoxicity, and that that manipulation can occur even all subsets of populations, including the natural killer cell 56 bright and 56 dim, whether or not the 57 is plus or minus, because you're altering gene expression and you're working through bromodomains and bromodomains are the readers of the methylone, which is controlling the expression of pro-inflammatory cytokines in a negative way when you use the demethylase inhibitor, and in the cytotoxic uh, T cell lineages, which is all which is basically working in the correct direction. Dr. Dan Guerra saying bye for now.